Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Did you know, according to Guinness World Book of Records, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Is that the best clapping y'all can do? We're talking about the Bible. It's the best-selling book of all time. I love that. Since 1815, get this, the Bible has sold 2.5 billion copies. Did you know that the Bible has been translated into 2,233,000 dialects? If you total all the verses in the Bible, you'll have 31,173 verses, approximately 23,000 in the Old Testament and 8,000 in the New Testament. If you were to read those verses at what we call pulpit speed, that's public speaking speed out loud, from Genesis to Revelation, you could read the entire Bible in 71 hours. Uh, for those of you that have been here, here at Calvary Chapel, I'd love to bring up this fact every time I have the opportunity. Listen at this. Did you know that Psalm 118 is in the middle, is the middle chapter of the entire Bible? Psalm 117 before Psalm 118 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 after Psalm 118 is the longest chapter in the Bible. The Bible has 594 chapters before Psalm 118 and 594 chapters after Psalm 118. If you add up all the chapters except Psalm 118, you get a total of 1,188 chapters. 1,188 or Psalm 118 verse 8 is the middle verse of the entire Bible. And shouldn't the central verse, the middle verse of the entire Bible be very important? It is. It says this, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Isn't that awesome? I'll wait while you clap your hands. That's, that's, I love that. I think that's just great. Uh, just by show of hands, uh, were you with me last week when we began our introduction in day one of Genesis? Good. That's a good number of you. Then you know that I told you that the book of Genesis is the book of origins. In Genesis, we learn the origin of heaven and earth. We learn the origin of the universe. We learn the origin of order and complexity. We learn the origin of the solar system, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere, the origin of design and life, the family, man, and marriage, the origin of evil, the origin of language, the origin of government, culture, and religion, the origin of the nations and law, the origin of truth, the origin of God, that he is eternal. I told you that the question of origins is a very important question. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? 
What will happen to me when I die? These are all questions of origin. And when you answer them from a biblical perspective, it leaves you with hope. It leaves you with purpose. That God created you and loves you and has a plan for you. Did you know that? A plan that is good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. When you understand that, that you're a creation of God, then life matters. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as we'll make our way through it, if you were to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll notice that we have the six-day creation account. You will also notice that God does not give a lot of detail about his creative process. Simply, in Genesis, we have a record of creation. After creation, we have the fall, then judgment, and then the flood. That flood reshaped the topography of the earth, and only eight survived the flood. Noah, Mrs. Noah, his three sons, and their wives. Every single one of us in this room are related to those eight survivors. Remember I told you last week that every single one of us are related to the guy that got off the boat? And y'all all look like who got off the boat. And I told you that Noah got off the boat. And y'all look shocked. Remember that? We talked about it last week. Every single one of us in this room is related to one another. We are all family. I don't know where I'm going to say this and Pastor Rodney going to move on, okay? I do not know where racism came in. I don't know where supremacy came in, that you are better than this person. Every single person is related to each other in this room. I don't care if you're black or you're white or you're Indian or you're African. It does not matter. We, in some way, all our lineage connects to the guy that got off the boat. And that's why racism is stupid. Yeah, I said it. Racism is stupid. Because we're all related. We're all family. That is Genesis. That's that's the Genesis creation account record. And there are many Christians and preachers, believe it or not, who deny the Genesis record. Now listen, there's only one book in the world that gives us a commentary on the book of Genesis. This book is authoritative. This book is infallible. This book is heavenly inspired. This book is divine. This book is unchallenged and a truthful book. This book that commentates on Genesis is a book that forever settles the issue of creation account. What is that book, Pastor Rodney? It's the New Testament. If you go through the New Testament, you will find confirmation and verification of the divine fiat. Divine fiat, divine decree, fiat, or God said. Did you know the New Testament quotes at least 165 passages? Keep in mind from Genesis, regarding Genesis, keep in mind the New Testament was not written by scientists. It, was written, it wasn't written by botanists. It wasn't written by physicists. It wasn't even written by theologians. 
The New Testament was written by simple blue collar men who were given the word of God. It was given by God, by the creator himself. So the New Testament Genesis is a commentary on the account of creation. In the New Testament, you will find confirmation of the beginning of man, confirmation of the fall of man, confirmation of the flood, confirmation that Noah and his family uh, were the only survivors. The Genesis record of creation is carefully recorded in the New Testament. You can't find anything about evolution in Genesis. It's not there. Somebody say amen. amen. You can't find anything about evolution in the Old Testament. It's not there. We talked about last week, evolution was started by who? What's his first name? Charles Darwin. Listen at this. So Julian Huxley said in Essays of a Humanist in 1964, Darwin's idea, quote, Darwin's idea is the most powerful and most comprehensive idea that has ever arisen on the earth. It helps us understand our origins. For real. Evolution teaches, and just by way of reiteration, Evolution teaches all present-day species of life, including man, came from a common origin and evolved gradually or slowly over a long period of time. All species or organisms are developed through natural selection, and they have the ability to compete and survive and reproduce. And we talked about how Darwin's theory doesn't make sense because it's impossible. Why is it impossible? I told you that there is a distinct genetic code in every person. Everyone in this room has a different, listen, everyone in this room has a different genetic code written in them. And because of that code, it's impossible for one kind of organism to change into another kind of organism. Did you get that? People on the cutting edge of technology tell us that there is no way a molecule can become a fish. No way a fish can become a lizard. No way a lizard can become a monkey. And no way a monkey can become a man. And isn't it amazing to you? It sure is amazing to me that everybody talks about evolution as if it's a done deal. Everybody talks about evolution like it's a closed case. Truth is, some of the most brilliant minds in the scientific community will say it's still a theory. It's still not scientific. It's still speculative. Michael Denton, best known for his book on evolution, a theory in crisis, said the evolutionary theory is still, as it was in Darwin's time, a highly speculative hypothesis entirely without direct factual support. David Rupp in conflicts between Darwinism and paleontology, Field Museum of Natural History Bulletin, January 1979, writes, quote, We are now 120 years after Darwin and the knowledge of the fossil record have been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species, but the situation hasn't changed much. We have few evolutionary transitions that we had in Darwin's time. So the question is, why do so many people believe in evolution? Well, listen, most intelligent people believe in evolution because they believe that most intelligent people believe in evolution. (laughs) Did y'all get that? 
I'm going to say it again in case you were asleep. Most intelligent people believe in evolution because they believe that most intelligent people believe in evolution. It's true. Let me say that if you believe in evolution, let me just say this right here. If you believe in evolution, I applaud you and I congratulate you. Because I will tell you, it takes more faith to believe. Y'all know where I'm going. It takes more faith to believe in randomness over a billions of years created this highly complex. You know how highly complex you are. The Bible says you are fearful and wonderfully made, David says, and that my soul knows right well. We are highly complex beings. The world is a highly complex place and, and, and atmosphere. And for someone to believe that random chance brought about all of this and all of that, I applaud you. You have more faith than I do. I will tell you that it is easier to believe in the beginning God than in the beginning randomness. Somebody clap your hands and say amen, pastor. It takes more faith to believe that a fish developed feet than to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And this God was there in the beginning and called everything into existence. Last week, were you with me? I gave you four truths about uh, from Genesis chapter one, remember? Were y'all with me? You remember? You got them written down. Creation had a beginning, number one. Number two, what was it? God created the universe. Number three, what was it? God owns all of creation. And number four, what was it? Of the world. Amen. I forgot it, so I wanted to make sure y'all got it. I don't have it in my notes. And that's because God is a God of order and not of confusion. And that's my sermon title, A God of Order, Not a Confusion. Day one, Genesis chapter one, saints, beginning in verse one. If you're looking at verse one, I need y'all to say a hearty amen. amen. Now, I want you to read verse one with me, verse one only with me. Ready, read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, I want you to circle this, was. Without, I'll tell you what it means in a minute, why I had to circle it. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was doing what, saints? Hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, what did he say? Let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light that it was what? Good. And God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light. What he called it, saints day and the darkness he called night. So evening and the morning were the first day. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. In the beginning, God, listen, you can't go back much further than in the beginning. In the beginning, the beginning is the beginning. Amen. Now, the question has been asked, when was in the beginning? Well, depending on who you ask, you'll get a number of answers. Some evangelical Christians believe in young earth. They will tell you the beginning is somewhere around six to 10,000 years old. They say that because they say that because they believe the genealogies in Genesis. If you're taking notes, write this down are closed genealogies. 
meaning they are complete genealogies. And some say the beginning is two, five, even 20 billion years old. People argue and fight and bicker over who's right or who's wrong. You know, I think of Job. God starts speaking after Job and his friends are talking. And I love this. I love it. Go read it in your own time. Let me read your portion. Job 38, verse 2 through 6. I love it. God says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Don't you love that? Here's the question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, God said. Who determined the measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? What were the foundations fastened to? Or who laid its cornerstone? In other words, God is saying, all of you guys are pontificating about the foundations of the earth, and none of you were there. So the problem is none of the experts who know the age of the earth were there. The only one there in the beginning was God. So we can speculate and have fun of, you know, doing it. But the question is, when is the beginning? I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I do know is in the beginning, God. The Bible begins with God. The earth started with God. The Bible says in the beginning, God. Notice it doesn't say in the beginning Adam and Eve walked in the garden. It doesn't say in the beginning when the sun and the solar system existed. It doesn't say in the beginning was space and gaseous particles floating in orbit. It doesn't say in the beginning in a land far, far away. It says in the beginning begins with God. The Bible opens with the assumption that God was the only one in the beginning. And because he was in the beginning, he and he alone can speak with authority about what happened in the beginning. Makes sense to me. Now, in the beginning, God, listen, is the doorway to the entire Bible. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, listen, it sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. Without Genesis, the rest of the Bible would be incomplete and incomprehensible. Unless you go through Genesis chapter 1, you can't get to the rest of the Bible. Conversely, if you can believe Genesis chapter 1, the rest of the Bible is a cakewalk. Are y'all with me? You can easily believe a man can live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. You can easily believe in a floating axe head of Elisha. You can easily believe that Jesus fed two twenty-five-ish thousand people with two fish and five loaves of bread if you can get through Genesis 1. Are y'all with me? You can easily believe that Jesus walked on water. You can easily believe the resurrection from the dead if you believe Genesis 1.1. I told you last week that evolution is an attempt at murder. Evolution is an attempt to replace the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, with time, matter, and space. Evolution is easier to say and believe because there's no accountability. Think about it. If you believe in the beginning, gases were floating in space and a big combustion happened and now we have all this, that removes any accountability to the person of God who is responsible for all of this. You see, evolution is ultimately an issue of accountability. You ever thought about it like that? 
It's an issue of accountability. Now, verse one tells us in the beginning, whenever that was, God created, got a pen. This is where you need to start writing down the word created. I told you some time ago. I told you weeks ago. Now, the word created in the Hebrew language is anybody know? Bara. Very good. Bara. Bara speaks of divine creativity. Now, y'all know I'm not big on recommending books. Because we have 66 books right here that I don't think I really got my face in all of them yet. So I'm not big on recommending books. Say amen, y'all. Although, I will tell you there is a set of commentaries that is just absolutely invaluable, especially to me um, preparing for this Genesis uh, series, this creation series. Um, it's um, a set of commentaries from the Jewish Publication Society, JPS. And um, it's a, a set of the Torah. Uh, the books are quite expensive, actually. Um, it's a set of the Torah. And it gives you um, the uh, original Hebrew translated into uh, English, and it gives you a better understanding, a deeper, richer understanding of what it is that's trying to be communicated. It's a, an invaluable book. And so I'm reading now. I have always, probably in the last 25 years, known that this word uh, bara uh, in Hebrew means created. I've always known that. But this book tended to bring it more alive or blossom that word. Uh, bara, which speaks of, again, divine creativity. This word is used exclusively of God who creates. So it's not used of any other uh, situation in the Bible where something was created, like Jesus, the carpenter, created a table. Well, that wouldn't be the same word. This word, bara, are y'all listening? This word, bara, is a word that is used exclusively of God who creates. It means the thing created is novel and unexplained and depends solely on God for its coming into existence. It means the thing created is beyond the human capacity to reproduce. The Hebrew word is creatio ex nihilo. Creatio ex nihilo, created something out of nothing. Matter from non-matter. Interesting. Matter from non-matter. Look at verse 2. It tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was tohu vabohu. Y'all like who? (laughs) Tohu vabohu. T-O-H-U. I'll tell you in a minute. Vabohu. V-A-dash. B-O-H-U, tohu vabohu, which means without form and void. The Hebrew word tohu means ruined or empty. Vabohu means vacant. Before God spoke, the earth was without shape, without form. Darkness was on the face of the deep. There was a cosmic abyssal water that enveloped the earth and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Now, listen, some people see a gap. Watch this. So 
Some people see a gap between verse 1 and 2. They call it the gap theory. And they say that there was an initial creation in verse 1. And then in verse 2, there was a subsequent creation. And the reason they say that is because of the word I had you circle, was. The word was in verse 2 is the Hebrew word hayata. Write it down. H-I-Y-A-T-A. Hayata. That word hayata means became. So people who believe in the gap theory, they teach that the earth became without form and void. And then they will take you to Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So those who hold to the gap theory will tell you that there was some pre-Adamic cataclysmic catastrophe between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.